I'm excited to get into the word. Y'all ready for a word this morning? Yeah? All right, Carrie. All right. Put your seatbelt on, brother. It's going to be good. I'm excited and fired. We're here in Vision Month and uh, 2021 Vision, and we have talked about for the last three weeks, today's week four, we're going to wrap up Vision Series today. Uh, we've been talking a lot about health, being healthy as people. Talked about having a healthy vision. We need to have good vision for our lives. God's a God of vision and direction. He's not directionless, doesn't want his people to be directionless. We talked about be, having healthy boundaries in our personal lives. We need to be healthy in body, mind, and spirit individually if we're going to make an impact in other people's lives. We talked about healthy relationships last week. By the way, I have heard more great things from people in our services this, la from this last week, from the services last week, and about relationships and how helpful all that was. Sounds like that was a needed and on-time word where we're at today. Having healthy relationships in our lives. And uh, when we talk about health, think about this for a second, just to establish, healthy would be whole, balanced, and flourishing. You know, when something's healthy, it's, it's balanced, it's not one-dimensional, it's not all of something and nothing, not, not enough of the other things that make it healthy, it's whole, it's balanced, and ultimately it's flourishing. And I love that. That's actually part of what God's plan for his people is, is to flourish in our lives. He says, hey, you get planted in the house of the Lord, you'll flourish in the courts of God. Everybody say, I, I'm, I'm going to flourish. Right? That's part of your plan. So healthy looks like that in, in these different areas. And today, we're going to talk about healthy disciples. Healthy disciples. This is a real, I, I know this is kind of a church word, disciple, um, but listen to me, I believe with all my heart right now that God is speaking this and that this is something that we need to kind of tread into and that we need to dig into deep to see really what this word disciple is all about, what it means and what are the implications of that. So let's begin in John chapter 13. If you have your Bibles, open them up there, go to John chapter 13. And we'll read verses 13 through 35 here together, or 33 through 35. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And by this... All will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples. Let's pray one more time. Father, in Jesus' name, we ask that you would just speak to us today, God. We need a word from you. We need to hear from you. We need bread of life. Lord, nothing else will satisfy our soul. I pray that you'd speak through me. God, use me. And that you would just, as you are always faithful to do, and I'm always in awe of you, Lord, Holy Spirit, minister uniquely in a custom way to every single person here today who opens their heart to you. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So this particular scene where Jesus is talking to the disciples and you know, he's saying, uh, 
where I'm going, you can't come. And of course, he means at that moment right then, he's getting ready to go to the cross and ascend to the right hand of the Father, and then they're still going to remain on mission for him. That's what he meant by that. Uh, and then he also says, this new commandment I'm giving you, love others as I have loved you. So obviously, Jesus is introducing something that's fresh for them. We'll come back to that a little bit later on here in the message, but he says that according to this, if you live this way, love others as I have loved you, then the world will know you are my disciples. What is a disciple? What is a disciple? Well, first of all, it's a student. It's a learner, a pupil. But not just a student in terms of hearing, but a student in terms of applying. Following the teacher, applying the teachings that the teacher is giving in their own lives, and ultimately, listen, not detaching from the teacher, not being separated from the teacher himself or the teachings that are coming from that. In fact, we did just a short little word study of disciple. Here's what you would find. The Greek word in the New Testament that was used was later uh, converted to the Latin word when scriptures were written in Latin to disuplis, disuplis. The Greek word was like matea or something like that. And then the Latin word became disuplis. And then when the English version of the Bible was translated later on, that's where we got the word disciple, disciple, which ultimately there was another word in the English language that stemmed out of that, which is discipline, which means a devoted adherence to. So let me just define disciple for us today before we move on. A disciple is a devoted follower of Jesus. You get that? Devoted follower of Jesus. You say, boy, Pastor, but you're kind of going to a lot of length to really lay this out. Listen to me. If you were in the days of this time when Jesus was talking and his disciples were following him, you know, the, the word Christian didn't even come along until later on in Acts after Jesus has already gone a number of years from the earth. And, uh, and the idea that people would say, well, I'm a Christian or a devoted follower of Jesus, those two things would never even be separated. Like new, the early church and the disciples, they, they wouldn't even comprehend a difference in those two things. You get what I'm saying? But today, where we're at, we could see a lot of situations, people say, well, I'm a Christian, but I'm not really following Jesus. <laughs> you know, I'm a Christian, but I, I, I mean, you know, I mean, let's face it, you can't really do everything the Bible says, right? Not a devoted follower of Jesus. And there, there, there's just kind of the difference between the two. But Jesus says, listen, the, the way that you love other people as I have loved you is the strongest evidence, it's the greatest proof that you can present that what? That you're my devoted followers. That you're following me. And what I want to say to us today, to the church, is it should be completely obvious <laughs> to the rest of the world that you are a follower of Jesus. In order for it to be completely obvious, we have to really be a devoted follower. We are not secret agents. You know? 
stealthy, in and out. It ought to be completely obvious to the world that we are followers of Jesus by the way that our lives are being presented and people are seeing his witness. And so ask yourself this question. Let's ask ourselves this question and, and kind of dig deep. Let the Lord dig deep today. Am I a disciple of Jesus? I'm asking if you're a Christian, okay? I, I'm asking you, are we disciples, devoted followers of Jesus? Let's take a look at a few things that being a disciple carries with it. Things that this implies. Number one, to be a devoted follower or disciple of Jesus, we must forsake. Forsake. Number one, to forsake. That's not a word we use a lot in our language. What does that mean, to forsake? It literally means to turn away from in order to turn entirely to something else. Let me tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean to have one hand on both things. It does not mean that. In fact, you really dig into it, what you find is to forsake, literally means to despise one thing so much because you prefer another. And we are called to forsake if we're going to be disciples. You say, well, you know, are you sure about that? Well, okay, let's look. Luke chapter 14, verse 33. Jesus says, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Yeah, I'm pretty clear, actually. <laughs> it's pretty clear. We have to forsake our lives, all that we have, in order to be disciples, devoted followers of Jesus. Now, what that really deals with is the issue in our hearts of what the pleasures of this life and our selfish pursuits, what kind of a hold they really have on us, and if there's a willingness on our part to really let them go in order to lay hold of the things that Jesus actually has for us. Let me say it this way. When you encounter a holy God who is pure and perfect and good in every way, and then you see that everything he would ever have for you could only be good because he's never not good, then you put your faith in that so much that you would literally despise or forsake any other personal selfish ambition or pursuit that you would want for yourself that he doesn't want for you. That's where we get to. Well, we see, God, you're so good that I would despise, I would forsake anything that I would ever want, God, that's actually not something that you would want for me. But it takes faith. It takes trust. We have to trust that what God has for us is infinitely better than anything that we could create for ourselves. That takes faith. To step into that. Let me tell you how it doesn't work. It doesn't work like a test drive. We go buy cars, we buy homes, and I'm the, I'll be the first one to do this too. If I'm going to buy a house, I'm going to buy a car, you know, I'm not going to just take your word for it. I'm going to want to go in and see it. 
I'm going to want to test drive the vehicle, make sure I like it, make sure, you know, it's comfortable, make sure it's got, cuts the turns pretty good, you know, pastor guy. If there's some things that I don't necessarily like about it, I might ask you, hey, can you take a little bit of this out and, and, and can you put a little bit of this in? I want a few of those extra things in there. I mean, I wanted to test drive, kind of get a feel for this, but once you can kind of deliver on all the goods, then I'll sign on the dotted line. We don't get to test drive our destiny. (laughs) Are you with me? We don't get to come to Jesus and say, okay, Jesus, I get it. You want me to forsake my life so that I can lay hold of the life you have for me? And if you'll give me a test drive, come on, just give me a little bit of the details. What do you have planned for me? I want you to take a little bit of the suffering out. Okay, can we get a little less of that? I want to get a little more of the pleasure and a little more of the fun. Um, And if we can can make it all work, and yes, I'm in. None of that happens. Jesus says, I'm just asking you to trust me. Forsake all that you have to lay hold. Lose your life that you may actually gain it. And we have to trust Jesus enough to literally forsake anything we would ever want that's not what he wants for us. But I'm telling you, when we, when we get to that place, there's a beauty that begins to unfold. There's a freedom and a zeal and a joy that begins to just explode in our heart because we know now I've turned away from the world and I've turned entirely to Jesus. And we begin to walk that out. What it's not is it's not lottery Christianity. And sometimes people can have this idea, yes, and, and this is what's, interesting, like almost a paradox, because the idea of the life Jesus has for us is incredible, full of blessing, full of favor, promised destiny, influence, pain, suffering, yes, that's part of it too, but it's incredible, but at the same time, we can be under this false impression that if I come to Jesus, I'm going to get everything I ever wanted. Right? Like everything that I ever wanted, all my own personal desires and everything would just all come to me. Like lottery Christianity. And please do not be under an illusion. We do not have the ability to do whatever we want and get whatever we want and still be a devoted follower of Jesus. We are called to forsake, to deny, to turn away from selfish, fleshly, personal ambitions that would not be things that God would actually have for us. It's not get everything you ever wanted. There's a part of this walk and this following that we are required to forsake the things that would attempt to pull us away from being able to remain a devoted follower of him. Are you with me so far? Number one is forsake. Number two is to endure. To endure. So when I say this, what I'm saying is that being a devoted follower of Jesus requires our faith to endure. A persistent, persevering, enduring faith. Not just a momentary faith. There are times you come to a place, yeah, I need faith right now. Enduring faith persists on and does not waver through the storms and challenges of 
life. Let me present a given and an unknown, an unknown to you. The given is, if you walk with Jesus and you follow him, at some point, your faith will hit a wall. You will hit a point where you're like, whoa, I haven't seen this before. That's the given. The unknown is, will the wall come down? Will your faith win the day? Because as Christians, our faith should win the day. Jesus has promised us victory. And any obstacle, any wall that we come to, our faith should persist and persevere. And those walls and those obstacles that stand in our way should be able to come down as we win that war in faith. But we look around and I see even today, especially over probably this last year, been a very trying year. And I've seen a lot of people where the wheels have come off. And their faith has just dwindled and unraveled. And it did not endure, persevere, and continue on. And an enduring faith is necessary to remain a devoted follower of Jesus. There are a lot of things that try to keep our faith from enduring, that try to pull us away. One, distractions of the world, constantly trying to pull us away and pull for our attention and our heart and our pleasures away from remaining devoted to following Jesus. Let's face it, they're, they're available everywhere today, are they not? I mean, the, the, the smorgasbord of distractions that are available are just literally everywhere that you would look and step. And when something's easily available, easily accessible, it makes it easier to indulge in. Let me prove that to you in one word. Keurig. Keurig. You know the one cup coffee machine, right? I'm sure I drank at least three more cups of coffee a day because of Keurig. Before, you had to clean the coffee pot, you had to, you know, grind it, do all that, whatever, put it in there. Eh, yeah, I don't want the cup that bad. Now, beep, beep, one button. I'll take another cup. Sure. Easily available. I'm just trying to get you to be alert and aware. The, the way that the distractions are in front of you right now, it, it's, it's everywhere. We've got to be focused on Jesus so as not to be distracted by the world to pull us away from remaining devoted as we follow him. You know, another thing that can pull away from our enduring faith is, is we reach these times where Jesus is doing something and he's leading us in a direction and then we just don't understand what he's doing. I don't understand. Nah, it's hard to follow. Anybody else ever been there before? Right? I don't understand. Let's look at how that leveled the playing field in a particular situation in the Bible for some of Jesus' followers, coming to a point where they didn't understand something that Jesus was saying or doing. John chapter 6, verse 66. So Jesus had just introduced this thing. Let me give you this. He, he just introduced this saying that was a hard saying where he said, you know, in order to follow me, you're going to have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. You remember that? Look, whew. Wow, okay, that's a hard one. Now, we have this great you know, vantage point from here to look back and say, well, you know, you think about communion, the bread of life, and Jesus' blood. Okay, yeah, they didn't have that perspective. 
And Jesus did not say, let me explain it to you, Adrian. Let me break it down for you how this thing really works, what this really means, so that you can understand you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. He just said it. And this is what happened after he said it. Verse 66, from that time on, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. (laughs) They didn't follow him anymore. And then Jesus said to the 12, do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. I love this. I love this. This is one of the most beautiful displays of faith, enduring faith, in my opinion, in the scriptures. It's like what Peter is saying to Jesus. He's saying, Jesus, I'm going to level with you. I, I, I don't get this one. Yeah, this, this is a hard one, Jesus. And everybody else is leaving you. But, but Jesus, where else are we going to go? We're devoted to you. We're following you through thick and thin, through fires and valleys, because you have shown us the way of life. And we trust you, even if we don't understand all of the things that you're saying or what you're getting ready to do. No, we're not going anywhere. And I promise you, if you're going to walk with Jesus through your lifetime and your faith is going to grow, and I pray that it does, you're going to come to seasons and moments in your life where it's going to seem like people are walking away and and things are changing, and there's going to be this question in your heart where it's going to say, do you want to go too? And you're going to have to say, Jesus, where else would I go? I don't fully understand, but I trust, and I'm going to continue to remain devoted and follow you wherever it is that you take me. And then another thing that can really threaten to take us away from remaining devoted to following Jesus is persecution. Truthfully, this is really where my burden is today in this message. Persecution. You see, distractions in the world and not understanding what Jesus is doing, pulling us away from staying in and following him, those are kind of internal things that we deal with. Persecution is an external factor. It's coming at us from the outside, from other people, and from circumstances in the world. And persecution can quickly derail a follower if they're not truly devoted. And so why do I say this? First of all, let me tell you a story. When I was in high school, sophomore year, um, played on junior varsity, it was my junior varsity year of hockey, and we had the uh, pleasure of going to Mid-States Championships. So I played for Diani High School that year, and we were playing DeSmet. And uh, remember the coach said, when we were preparing for the game, he said, now boys, I'm going to level with you, and I'm going to shoot you straight. They're bigger than you, and they're stronger than you. But I believe that you're faster. And if you'll skate faster, and if you'll pass, and you'll spread out the ice, you'll cycle, I believe that you can wear them down. And I believe that this is how we're going to beat them. So we 
executed our game plan. And we skated, and we skated, and we skated, and we stuck. It was tied, and it was back and forth, and we were tied until the final minutes of the third period, and we scored the game-winning goal. We won the Mid-States Championships. But I thought a lot about that this week, and I thought we prevailed because we were prepared. Coach prepared us. He helped us see what was coming so that we could anticipate it. This is what I'm trying to tell you. I believe that it's about ready to get a lot harder to remain devoted to following Jesus. I believe that the conditions in our world are going to turn up the heat. I have no idea what it looks like. I just believe that it's going to get a lot harder to remain devoted to following Jesus. You see, this is definitely a teaching, but I really believe that it's also a preparation. And this idea of persecution and suffering, I get it. It's not a popular message. I get it. Probably not going to make the tops of the charts on the podcast channel. But I don't feel like I'm doing anybody a, a service if we are not talking about this, because this is part of the whole gospel. Jesus said, hey, a servant is not greater than his master. They persecuted me. They're going to persecute you. I'm saying, I'm trying to say our faith must endure no matter what comes against us. And in order for our faith to endure, for us to remain devoted we have got to be continuing to walk with Jesus through the ups and downs and through the mountains and the valleys. And as we do, we continue to grow in our devotion, our faithfulness, and the strength of our faith to endure through things that come along. The Apostle Paul, he came this moment in Acts chapter 20 where he makes this incredible statement. This has just always just captivated me in Scripture he says this in verse 22 of Acts 20. He says, I see now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem. Think of that, bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem. Not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me. Nor do I count my life dear to myself. No, because he's already forsaken it. So that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I've received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. He says, I'm bound in the Spirit. Think about this. He's not saying where I'm going to go or where I'm headed. You know, it's, it's, I'm not going to be able to stay at the Ritz when I get there. I'm going to be in a subpar setting or whatever. He's saying, I'm probably going to die there. It looks like this is the end for me. But I'm bound to the Spirit of God. I'm devoted to following Jesus so much that it doesn't even move me. I'm not even thinking about letting go of Jesus. I'm going there. And so I want to give you kind of a demonstration because this idea of bound in the Spirit, enduring faith and persisting where we're headed in our journey, our destiny, what God has planned for us, I think is so paramount and so relevant today. What does it mean to be bound in the Spirit, to be fully devoted as a follower of Christ? I need a volunteer. Mike, would you come up here 
Actually, I need two. And Adrian, would you guys just real quick come up here? I know I didn't ask you, so that's the way it works. Okay. Um, so do you guys know each other? You close? Okay, you're about to get close. All right. So Mike, you're going to be Jesus, and then Adrian, you're going to be the follower, okay? And so why don't you turn around for just a second? And Adrian, first of all, I want you to just kind of put one hand on Mike's shoulder. You got one hand on and one hand off, right? And you, you know, you want to follow Jesus, right? Yeah, that's, that's the deal. You want to follow him. So Jesus is leading you, you know, and you're following, you're getting along. All of a sudden, the enemy comes along, and wow, that didn't take too much, you know? Not really hanging on anymore, not really grabbing on. You know, Jesus continues, and here you are back here, right? It's been disrupted. Oh, I come back over here, Jesus. All right. Turn around. Both hands. Put both hands on. So now he's got both hands on. And Jesus is leading and he's following, right? And then all of a sudden the enemy comes along and persecution and things from the world. You know, it's kind of getting hard. But look, he's hanging on, right? But listen, here's what the Apostle Paul says. Come back over here. Here's what the Apostle Paul says. He says, I'm bound in the Spirit. I'm Yeah. <laughs> All right, step back over here, just like you were, face that way. No, don't touch the rope. All right, come over here. Hold that for just a second. All right. So he says, I'm bound in the spirit. I'm, I'm so devoted that it's literally, this means to be bound in the spirit literally means to be tethered or knitted to, to literally be chained to. So now, I'm not just trying to hang on a little bit. I'm actually tethered to this thing. I'm actually knitted to Jesus. And this happens over our lifetime. You see, that first valley that he walked through with Jesus when it was tough and it was difficult and he didn't let go, that knot got stronger. And then when he didn't understand what was happening in his finances, and his finances were under attack, but he didn't let go of Jesus and he hung on and he stayed the course. That knot got tighter. And then his marriage came under attack. And then he suffered loss and he didn't understand it. But he stayed with Jesus and he didn't let go. And these knots just keep getting tighter and tighter. And the enemy can come along and try and break them apart and do all this stuff. But he says, it doesn't move me. It doesn't move me. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Why don't you guys just have a seat next to each other? There, you know? uh, but I, I want you to see this picture because when we talk about enduring faith and devoted followers of Jesus, I want you to understand that as we walk with God and we trust God, our faith grows and our devotion grows and our strength to persist and persevere and endure, continues to grow, and that we may be able to say, thank you very much, guys. Give them a round of applause. <laughs> that we may be able to say, nothing will move me. I'm following Jesus through everything that comes my way because I know and I trust that it's the only way that's going to lead me into everlasting life. Amen. Number three, last point. Healthy disciples, to be a disciple, to forsake, to endure, is to disciple. 
to disciple. You say, oh, well, you, Pastor Matt, you're kind of trying to trip me up here. What are, you, what are you doing? Well, this is real simple. I'm not even going to spend a lot of time on this, but I think that in the year ahead, we'll probably talk more and more about this. To be a disciple also means to disciple. In fact, when you look at the verb of the word in the scriptures, you'll find it literally means both. It literally means to be, to be following and to also be discipling, showing other people how to follow. I think sometimes we miss this. I'm not saying everybody's going to be up here preaching a sermon or leading Bible studies or all that kind of stuff. I'm not saying that. God's got calls that are different and unique for all of us. Here's what I am saying. It's clear. As a disciple, we ought to be equipped to be able to instruct and exemplify other people in the ways of Jesus. That's, to, to not do that is to not really have the full definition of disciple. Our life, our walk, we should be solid enough. No, you don't have to know everything in the Bible, all of Scripture, preach a sermon. But to be able to say, you know, I know what Jesus says about this. I, I can help someone who doesn't know Jesus know Jesus and follow Jesus because I'm following him myself and I'm equipped in the word enough in my walk and in my journey and my experience to be able to instruct someone else in the ways of the Lord. At the core of doctrine, to be a disciple is to be able to disciple. Are you with me? Well, let's come back to the beginning. In this thing that Jesus says about, I give you a new commandment. Jake, he says, love others as I have loved you. That's how they're going to know you're my disciples. It's, it's interchangeable, right? If you're loving people the way I'm loving you, guess what? They're going to know that you're my disciple. It's the best proof that you can present. But then you can interchange it back and forth. If you're my disciple, devoted follower, then guess what? You'll be loving people the way that I'm loving you. It's interchangeable. But here's the thing. In order to love like this, we have to remain devoted. Because to love like this, it's not a worldly, superficial kind of love. It's way deeper than that. We know what God's love is like, right? So we understand that. And to love other people that way, can't do that on your own. Cannot do that on your own. You'll find that out at some point if you try to do it on your own. And Jesus says, you remain devoted to following me. And then it's amazing, but Christ lives through the believer. And his active power and love actually is flowing through us while we're devoted and while we're remaining connected to him. You see, you can't do this on your own. You can't. I've learned this over the years, that anything Jesus calls us to do, asks us to do, guess what? He will supernaturally equip us to be able to do that. But if we try to do it on our own, we will always fall short. Early in our marriage, Katie and I, we talked about this last week or the week before. We said, you know, we had some real challenges in the first couple years of our marriage. A big part of that was her cussing and screaming and yelling. You know, that was a big... <laughs> Still working on that one. Uh, <laughs> kidding. No, but... Uh, <laughs> but 
You know, another big part of this, I've shared this before, it's been a while, and so some of you maybe never heard this before, but I just, I'm always very transparent about my past. I have a rough past, you know, before I came to the Lord and things like that. Um, but a big part of our struggle was, is that I had an issue with pornography. And I was exposed to it as a kid. I, I just continued on in that all through my adult years, and I brought it into my marriage. And it reached a point where it was destroying my marriage. And recognized I needed to be set free from this. I needed, you know, Jesus to help me. And so I found freedom and, and really laid that thing down and never looked at that stuff again. But for a while, I would still have these fleeting thoughts, images, graphic images and things that would try to lure me in in my thoughts to go down that path, even if I wasn't looking at it in the physical. And for a while, I struggled and I failed at that. And it was this up and down journey. I'm doing good, doing bad, doing good, doing fall. And it's just like I was defeated, I was ashamed, I was just was in this valley. <laughs> and it all of a sudden just God divinely illuminated for me one day. In James 4:7, it says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. And God just showed me. I'm telling you, I, I did not see. God showed this to me. He said, you're trying to resist before you've submitted. And I thought, oh my gosh, how did I not see this? I was trying to be this master of self-discipline, of willpower, I'm going to fight this thing off. I'm going to win this battle in my mind. I'm going to do this. It's up to me. i got to do this. And I was fighting this thing in my own strength, and it just all of a sudden became very clear to me. I'm trying to do this on my own. I have not, as the Scripture says, came to God first in my desperation, in my plea, for him to give me the strength to do this. I almost felt like I had to do it. Like, I, you know, it was for, I, I needed to do it so that I could do what God was telling me. And Jesus is like, no, I, you need me to help you with this. And every time from then on out, those battles that would happen, those wars that would start, it would just be like, Jesus, 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 Jesus. And I'm telling you, I could feel God's presence, and I could feel the forces of darkness flee, leave the room, leave the environment, and run. And I could just feel the air clear. And those thoughts were gone after that. What I'm trying to say to you is that you can't do this on your own. <laughs> Disciple, devoted follower of Jesus, enduring faith through persecution, you can't do this on your own. You need God's strength to help empower you to walk this out. What separates a disciple of Jesus, you, know, you could be a disciple of anybody, you could be a disciple of Hitler, you could be a disciple of anybody, what separates a disciple of Jesus from being a disciple of any other teacher is that we actually have the ability to draw the very strength that we need to follow from the one that we follow. That's what makes it different about being a disciple of Jesus. That he comes along to our aid, to our rescue, to strengthen and empower. He says, I want you to follow me. I want you to forsake everything so that you can walk with me. But if you'll come to me, I'll give you the strength and the power and everything you need to be able to do that. Because life itself is found in me. 
This is not a journey of self-discipline. And I close this message today by saying this because, listen, if, if any sermon or any message talks to you about doing things in your life to grow and ways to get better in your life, and we go through all of this, but at the end of this message, we don't connect you to your need for a Savior in order to be able to walk that out. Then somewhere along the line, people can get the misconception that they might be able to pull it all together enough and piece it all together on their own to get the job done, and that simply isn't true. We've got to have Jesus in every way, shape, or form. He will give us the strength to be his disciples. Devoted followers. My prayer for us as we come out of Vision Month is that we go through this year and we grow incredibly strong in our faith, spiritual maturity, to be able to look back at the end of 2021 and say, that was the healthiest year of my life. That was the healthiest year of my life and the rudder is set and it's just gonna get better and better from here. I believe that with all my heart. Church needs to go there. It's most likely, see if you agree with me or not, but most likely, it's not going to get easier to remain devoted. Will we be ready? Will we be prepared? Father, I just thank you today in Jesus' name for everything you're doing in this place, in the lives of your people. We honor you and we glorify you. This is all about you, Jesus. It's always been about you, and, and it'll always be about you. We want to be disciples. We want to be devoted followers. We want to love like you love, Jesus. And we're asking you, God, we're praying in faith. Give us the strength to walk the things out that you're calling us to do. All over this place, you're here today, and you say, Man, I need to get back to walking with Jesus. Maybe you've walked with him in the past, or at one point your prayer life, your walk with God was on fire, and it's grown dim, and it just kind of, like the candle just went out a little bit, so to speak. And you know that really what you need more than anything else is you need to get back to walking closely with Jesus. Maybe you've never made the decision. Maybe the whole thing I talked about, forsaking your life, laying your life down, surrendering, turning from your old life and entirely to Jesus is never a conscious decision that you've made of your own will. And it's time to open your heart today and let him in. The Bible says when we give our lives to Jesus and confess with our mouth, believe in our heart that we're saved. It's the beginning of life, spiritual life, is to lay our life down in order to receive what he has for us. The Holy Spirit comes to live on the inside of us by God's grace because of the work that Jesus did on the cross, and we're born again. We're alive spiritually, and we can continue to walk this destiny out that he has for us in a place of power, in a place of faith. 
Again, you can't do that on your own. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, I'm ready to make that decision. I'm ready to get back to walking with Jesus or I'm ready to turn from my old life and, and to make that decision once and for all to follow him. Everybody could just kind of bow your head, close your eyes for a minute. I want to ask you all over this place, if you need that prayer, if you're ready to pray that prayer and have Jesus come in, give you the strength to begin walking this out. On the count of three, I just want to see your hand. I ask you to raise your hand, and we're just going to pray. And God's going to meet you where you are. Say, yes, Pastor, I'm ready. I, I am ready. One, two, three. All over this place. I see your hand, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Yes. I see your hand, sir. All over this place. Anybody else? I'm ready. I'm. It's, it's time. It's my day. Yes, ma'am. I see your hand. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm going to lead you in this prayer. Let's, all of us, let's hook our, our faith in and our prayer in this together. It's about the posture of your heart right now before God. He sees and he knows. You mean business with God? I promise you he's going to meet you right where you are. Say, Lord, I, I surrender my life to you today. I lay down my life and I give it to you, God. Forgive me of any past sin. Holy Spirit, fill me. I believe Jesus is my Lord and Savior. He died for me on the cross. He rose from the grave, defeated death. And that is the key to eternal life. I believe with all my heart that these things are true. God, would you come and live on the inside of me and make me into the person that you've created me to be. In Jesus' name.